Children's Church, you are dismissed. That's K through second. Parents, if you have not signed it in, checking station is back there. Go print them a card so you can collect them at the end of the service. Alright? So, Children's Church, you are dismissed. The rest of you, you are staying here. Uh, get your Bibles out. We have been walking through the book of Philippians. And uh, we are in chapter 4 today. We're starting uh, chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word here uh, this morning. So open your mouths up if you would uh, to chapter three or chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 1 through 3. In just a moment, as soon as our kids get all transferred out and all that, Alright, you got your Bibles out with you? Go ahead and stand up with me as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, I want to read just verses 1 through uh, 3. And uh, now there's two ladies' names in here, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce them, and they don't care if I mess it up, so you shouldn't know. Alright, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Unitas and Syntyche uh, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with all the other of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for the praise, the worship. Thank you for the opportunity to break up with the bread of life. And now, Lord, as we talk about this important subject that the Apostle Paul hones in on, we pray that, Father, that we might see, O oh Lord, the truths that are needed for us this morning to be able to live in the unity of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. Now we ask that you'd help us to live out our lives in unity of spirit and mind. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of unity. Now, I read this one minister uh, presenting a children's sermon to all the young children of the church. He had a precarious uh, uh, little three-year-old girl listening intently as he was explaining to them that God wanted them to get along with one another to love one another. And he said to them, God wants us to be one. To which the little girl replied very quickly and very bolsterfully, I don't want to be one, I want to be four. Seems as though the church today has a little bit of trouble with wanting to be one as well. I've heard it also said that in any good church fight, the devil never takes sides. He just simply provides both with enough ammunition to keep the fight going. The Bible tells us, however, hold how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. I guess the reason that it's so good and pleasant is that in some churches it is so rare. If we're able to have any hope of any kind of unity, we need to pray and we need to pay great attention to what Paul told the Philippians about the subject of unity. What are the key facets of Christian unity? 
Well, in this passage of Scripture, in these three verses, Paul gives us three different types of relationships and the keys to maintain unity in each one of them. And I want to talk about those today with you, starting in verse 1. In verse 1, the first one that we see is unity means loving one another with joy. Loving one another with joy. Now, um, there are a lot of people that say they love one another. As a matter of fact, uh, we had this conversation at lunch yesterday with one of our granddaughters. I was not so lovingly saying, I'm sorry, and you know, for all of that. And Mimi said, now, if I said, I love you, would you believe me? She said, no. She said, but if I say, I love you, would you believe me? She said, no. Uh, she was just being obstinate. However, attitude is so important. If we don't love and joy, if we don't enjoy the love that we have for another, do we really love one another? The Apostle Paul reminds us that the first relationship that we need to understand is the relationship between the leader and the church. The relationship with the church. We see Paul uh, talking about this relationship because he's describing his relationship with the Philippian church. Paul, being their leader, their spiritual mentor, talks about his relationship with the folks there at Philippi. And notice the kind of relationship that he has according to verse 1. He says he loves them. But he doesn't just say that he loves them. Look at what the King James Version says and how he describes his love for them. And in verse 1, he goes on to say, My brethren, dearly beloved. I looked at several other versions, and then the ESV had another one that I liked, and it says, My brothers whom I love. Paul wanted it to be known that he loved the Philippian believers. All through his letter, he has expressed that deep and, and, and devoted relationship with them. But not all leaders love their flock as deeply as the Apostle Paul loved his. Some pastors go home on Sunday night only to complain about their church and the people in the church or the people that weren't in the church on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not talking about me. I wouldn't do that to you. Just don't give me a reason. All right. All right. Some serve out of duty. Others do it for the money. Others once ministered out of love, but things have happened. Life has been rough, and they've lost their love for their congregation. But let me make it clear. Let me make it known to you that, that this one thing is so true. Love is absolutely an essential for unity in the church between leader and congregation. Well, why is that so important? Because let me remind you that people are sinners and so are pastors. All right? Because we are all human beings and we're all flawed and we all fail and we all sin and we all make mistakes. There is a great need for love to, to be involved in order to have a relationship. The scripture reminds us that love co covers the multitude of, of sin. Now, how many of you would agree with me that Moses was perhaps the greatest leader in all of the Old Testament? Would you agree with me? 
I think he was. I think the Jews would say even today, many Jews even revere Moses today more than any other leader in all of their history. And yet, the Bible tells us that the people complained about Moses. At one point, they were so angry at Moses, they threatened to stone him. Now, perhaps the second greatest leader in Israel's history would have been King David. David as well is still thought of in, in, in Jerusalem and, and in Israel as a great leader. He was respected leader of the Old Testament. And yet, we read time and time again that the nation of Israel rebelled against David, and not just once, but more than once. And of course, we go to the New Testament and we see one of the greatest leaders of all the world has ever known and ever seen and ever will know, his name being Jesus. Now think about Jesus just for a moment. The Bible says that he came to save the people. He came to, to show God's love to them. He came to heal their afflictions. He came to bring them salvation. He taught them. He spent time with them. He loved them. But yet what happened to Jesus? They killed him. They hung him upon the cross. Now let me just say that I said all of this to kind of remind you that if these leaders, if these kinds of leaders were not guided by love, they would have given up. Phil mentioned John 3.16 and the fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus to us so that we could have redemption. And when Jesus came, said, my father has sent me to do his work. He's given you me so that I might redeem you from your sin. How much do you love us, Jesus? He stretched out his arms and he died for us. You see, the Bible reminds us that these kinds of leaders were guided by love or they would have given up and gone home. They would have quit. They would have said, it's not worth it. I'm done. You people are on your own. But because they loved their people, because they loved those that they were reaching, they kept going. Peter writes it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. And above all things have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. My friends, unity means loving one another even when it's not easy. I have a question for you this morning, and I need your participation, so if you're sleeping, wake up, all right? I need your participation this morning. So how many of you in this room consider yourselves to be leaders? Raise your hand. Leaders? Keep them up, keep them up, got to have them up, hold them up. Leaders? Any other leaders? All right, now keep them up, because we just hang on for a minute. I got to... I'm going to show you that there's a few of you that think you're leaders, but I want you to understand there's a lot more of you that are leaders. All right? So keep your hands up just for a minute. I want to, I want to walk you through because we're going to add some more to these numbers. All right? Um, if you are a parent in the room today, lift up your hand because you cannot be a parent without being a leader. All right? Um, you can't raise your children without leading your children. If you're a boss or a manager at some place, lift up your hand. Now hold your hands up because we're going to see here. All right? All right. 
If you are a teacher, I don't care at school or at church, if you're a Bible teacher, a Sunday school teacher, or a children's church worker, if you are one of those, raise your hand. All right? If you're serving in any ministry where you're directing people under you, and it can be little ones, it can be older ones, uh, raise your hands. Keep your hands up. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to show you something here in just a minute. If you're a husband in the room today, and your hand's not raised up, raise up your hand because you can't be a husband without being a leader. All right? All right, so... Look around and you'll see that almost every one of us are leaders, but there are a few that are not. Now here, for the younger ones in the room, go ahead and put your hands down. For the younger ones in the room, if you have a younger sibling in, the, in your life, you are a leader as well. So I've got an advice for you. Either raise your hand that you're a leader or stop telling your siblings what to do. Okay, there's your choice. All right, you either step up to leadership or you stop telling them what to do. All right, so it breaks down to two groups. We've got two groups of people in the world. We've got leaders and we've got followers. And I want to talk to the leaders just for a moment, and then I'm going to talk to the followers after. All right, so for the leaders, perhaps you have been leading, but without sincere love. Maybe you have uh, been complaining about your students. Maybe you have been frustrated with your kids. Maybe you're, you're a little upset with your sibling. Maybe uh, uh, things aren't going so well, and you're not filled with the joy of the Lord for them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to agree with me today that you will take the next week and you will begin praying. But here's how I want you to pray. I want you to first pray that God will fill your heart with love for those that you're leading. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray, Lord, fill me with love for those that I have been called to lead. Fill me so that I will lead them not out of duty, not out of compulsion, not out of uh, have to, but out of love. I want you to pray for yourself. But it's not enough just to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for your students. I want you to pray for those that you're leading. I want you to pray that, um, uh, that God will fill your heart with love, but also that he will take away any wrong emotions or attitudes which you have towards them. Now, secondly, I want you to pray for them. If you really love them, you will pray for them. Have you been praying for those that you are in leadership over? Now, some of you might be, some of you might have been, Some of you might have stopped praying or gotten away from praying from them, and and you wonder why the the relationship that you once had with them that was so sweet and so good and so wonderful has now become a little bit more stressful, a little bit more sour, a little bit more hard. It's because you've stopped praying for them. Listen, when we truly love someone, we pray for them on a regular basis. God wants us to increase our love relationship. One of the greatest ways that I've found to pray or to, to increase that love relationship is to commit myself to praying for people. If I'm starting to have a struggle in a relationship with someone, the Lord has taught me many years ago one of the greatest tools that I have at my disposal is to begin praying for them. It's hard to be upset with somebody that you're praying for. Hard to think ill of somebody that you're praying for. 
if you're truly praying for them. Now, I'm not asking you praying God's fire down John, okay? You know, praying for them out of love, praying God's best for them. Maybe you've done it in the past. Maybe you've gotten away from it. But I want you to commit to this week praying for them. And as you do, I believe God will increase your love for them. I believe that your relationship will begin to grow in favor again. Now, that's the leaders. Now, for those of us that are followers, those of us that are under those, Hear what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account one day, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, remember, those that have been placed in leadership over you, they're going to have to give an account for the way that they lead you, the way that they're, they're dealing with you. So make it easy for them to lead you. Be willing to do for them. Be willing to do what is right. Give them reason to joy and not to groan. Help your leaders to respond with joy by following them in obedience. Pray for them. As followers, we need to be praying for our leaders. Uh, that's something that the Bible tells us all the time. Pray for our leaders. What a great way for you to encourage them is through prayer. But not only through prayer, but I want you to encourage them through word and deed. You can support them, encourage them, lift them up, and you can cause them to be better leaders by your obedience. So let me ask you a question. How will you show your leaders love this week. How will you express that love? Will you pray for them? Will you give them a word of encouragement? Will you um, obey when, when they tell you something, when they give you instructions? Will you follow them? We are to recognize that unity means loving one another in the joy of the Lord. The second truth that we want to see, the second relationship, is not only the relationship between the church and the pastor or the pastor and the church, but the second relationship and found in verse 2 is unity means living with one another in harmony. Relationship between people. Now I'm talking about relationship between one another. You see, the Bible tells us that, that there is relationship one with another. Now, for those of you that have already fallen asleep, let me just remind you to be careful not to fall asleep in church because I want you to understand what's happening here. Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian church. Epaphroditus is probably reading this letter before the congregation. And guess what he does as he's reading this letter? He calls out two ladies in the church by name with a problem going on in the church. Now, let me tell you, if anybody was sleeping in the church then... <laughs> They woke up in a hurry. Uh, they started listening to make sure that my name is not going to be called. They're not going to speak about me, are they? So listen, in verse 2, he says, I beseech you, uh, uh, Eudiceus and, and uh, Sympathy, uh, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The second relationship is between these two ladies. This is one, in the only, one of the only few times that Paul singles out individual believers in a letter. 
It seems clear that he had heard that there was some uh, news from these two ladies that they were having major issues in getting along. For whatever reason, friction had, or conflict had developed between the two of them, and they weren't living in unity anymore. This kind of fraction was so dangerous to the church well-being that Paul considered it necessary to single them out and to exhort them to resolve the issue before it grew any bigger. What was their conflict? I don't know. You don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. It just says that it was a problem that was causing a problem within the body of Christ. Now, what might immediately seem rather blunt is actually a case study in gracious confrontation. Listen, let me remind you, what, when we first read this, we might say, Oh, if our pastor did that, I would probably leave the church. <laughs> um, but listen, let me tell you that this is a, a gracious confrontation of trouble. Paul doesn't do this to, to cause them hurt or embarrassment. He does this for the sake of unity of the body. Paul does two things right off the bat. Listen to this. He, he re repeats the verb uh, in the statement where he says, I urge, I urge. In other words, he's saying, I beseech, I urge you. He's not picking one out and say, you're the problem and you've got to get it right. He's saying to both of them, I am urging, I am encouraging you. I am urging, I am encouraging you. Come together in the Lord. I am telling you that I, I want to love you to know that what's going on doesn't have to be going on. You can get back together. Paul urges them to get it together. The verb could be translated, I entreat, or I appeal, or even I encourage. Paul had every right to the apostolic way around. He said, as, the, as an apostle, I demand that you get your act together, and you start living right for the Lord, or I'm going to come and deal with you. And by the way, there's times when Paul did exactly that. Paul very harshly said, I'm telling you, as your leader, You've got to get it together, and if not, I will deal with you personally when I get there. That's not what he's doing. Actually, he is being very loving, very kind, and very gracious, but very pointed, very specific to the point. He called them by name. Now, one would think that's embarrassing, but no, what he was wanting to do was make sure there was no confusion. He wanted to know that he is, he is loving on these two particular ladies. This is, this is not um, to, to bring them down, but to lift them up. He calls them by name and then personally appeals to them to be reconciled together. It is all too common for believers to divide and hold grudges against each other because no one calls them out on it. It's real easy to kind of let things just kind of fade into the background. But unfortunately, nothing is addressed, and the problem is still there, and Satan still has a foothold in the body. When this happens, it is very destructive. It's destructive to the church's testimony. It's destructive to the relationships of the people in the church. It is destructive to uh, other relationships within the church. 
It is destructive to each individual's walk with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, I wrote, read this quote and, and I thought it fit real well. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is a policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He att uh, uh, attaches far more importance on godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. Satan is always looking for a way to tear apart what God puts together. You know, isn't it amazing that when, when, when ministers do a marriage relationship, when they do a ceremony, we, we kind of have to remind the people what God has put together, let no man what? Pull us under. Satan is always trying to pull apart what God puts together. We need to be reminded that we have an adversary who is always trying to destroy our relationships. Now, Paul writing in Ephesians, another church, Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 4, not Philippians 4, but Ephesians 4. Listen to what he says, and I want to give you a few points from it. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's three important lessons that I think that Paul gives us here on unity that I want to give to you. First of all, attitude is important. To keep the unity, we must be first humble. We must be gentle and we must be patient. We talked about these very traits in our Sunday school class this morning. Isn't it better, do you think, to lose an argument than to lose a friend? All too often, we'd rather win an argument than keep a friend. But when we're humble, when we're gentle, when we're patient, we know it's easier to lose an argument than it is to lose a friend. Isn't it better to listen than to push your own opinions? The writer of Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Unity means humbling yourselves. It means bearing with one another. It means being long-suffering towards others. Reminding us that there will be sins, there will be offenses, there will be troubles. But there should always be forgiveness. Always. Listen, the reality is, just like the first one with pastor in church, we're all sinners. We're going to mess up. We're going to mess up with one another. And as much as we mess up, we should always know that there is forgiveness. The grace of the Lord promises forgiveness. Attitude is important. Eagerness to maintain unity is important. Some translations say diligent meaning that it's hard work, takes effort. <laughs> Absolutely. If you've been married for more than 20 minutes, you know that it takes work. Diligence to stay married 40 minutes or 40 years. All right? Relationships take work. If you've ever grown a garden... 
you know that there are always going to be those wretched little things called weeds that pop up. You know, I drive by Blanche and Robert's garden all the time, and I wonder why is there never any weeds. Well, I know why. Because every day when I drive by, I see Blanche or Robert out there making sure they're tending to the weeds. If they don't stay out there week after week after week after week, their garden is not going to look like their garden. I've learned over the years that, listen, if you don't go out and pull the little weeds, they grow up to be big weeds. And the bigger the weeds, the, the more damage they do to the plants around and the more nourishment they take and they, and they start starving and robbing your plants. All of a sudden you look out and you say, what is the sense of going out there? All I can see is weeds. The reality is, what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here is that yes, it takes work, but you can't wait until the work is overwhelmed. You have to do it while it's small. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter uh, uh, three here or four here reminds us that he went after the problem when it was still small enough to tackle. And so he pulled the weeds so that the, the, the nourishment could go to where it needed to be. Relationships are the same way. If you don't diligently tend to the small problems that come in, the little weeds that pop up in our lives, they will soon grow to be big weeds and they will multiply and they will overtake our life. Satan wants to promote disunity by planting weeds in our gardens. And we must be diligent and diligent to work very hard to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. The third and important issue is unity already exists. Now unity is important because attitude is important. Eagerness to maintain our unity is important, but we need to also understand that unity already exists. If you look at what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he also reminds us that believers already have the unity he goes on to say that, that uh, um, we are endeavoring to, well, here's the word, keep. You can't keep something that's not already there. You get something that's not already there. You keep something that's already there. And so he says we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Well, when do we get that? Every believer already has that unity built in them when they become a believer in Christ. The moment that you come to Christ, you are unified with a body of believers. The scripture tells us the truth that, that we are unified in one. This is the standing that we have through Christ Jesus. It is only when we allow sin to come in that the picture of that unity is broken. Paul urges them to agree in the Lord in Philippians chapter 4. The idea of living in harmony is a beautiful picture. But how is it possible? Verse 3 contains the answer when it says, in the bond of peace. Paul writing there to the Ephesians said, it is possible only through the Lord. In the Lord it is possible. Listen, my friends, the reality is that it is difficult if not impossible for you and I to live in unity together. If you don't believe me, turn on your news. 
Look at the world that we're living in today. Is there unity in the world today? Absolutely not. Because the Lord is absent, disunity is present. When the Lord is in it, unity comes about. But when the Lord is absent, disunity comes about. People have no hope to live in unity without the power of the Lord. We have too many sins, too many differences, and too many different opinions. Yet with the Lord, all things are possible, and we can truly see one. So I have some questions for you to consider this morning as we think about this unity. Is there another believer, another person that you have a quarrel with? Now don't raise your hands. One of you have offended the other or upset one or the other? Has it been resolved? Has there been forgiveness? Has there been confession? God's grace is enough to overcome any difference. Ask him for the love and compassion to forgive or the courage to be humble and to confess the broken relationship. Go to that person and deal with it so that God's unity will be restored through the bond of peace, through the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, we together can always live in unity. The third truth that I want you to hear this morning is unity means laboring with one another for the gospel's sake. Look at verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labor with me in the gospel. With Clement also and with others of my fellow laborers whose names are all in the book of life. The Bible reminds us that we have a relationship with the gospel. The reason you and I are here, the purpose behind us not going home to be with God the moment that we accepted Christ is so that we can be in fellowship and relationship with the gospel. So that we can continue to share the gospel with those who have yet to hear These women and Clement, the Bible says, and other fellow laborers were laboring together side by side with Paul for the gospel's sake. Working together as a common goal can bring people together even when they are arch enemies. Take, for example, the NBA. Now, I know you're saying, what are we talking about, the National Basketball Association on a Sunday morning? But the NBA basketball players and teams each have their own team, and many of them are bitter rivals between each other. But every four years, did you know this? Every four years, from each of these teams, they gather together and they create one national team to go play in the Olympics. Now, in order for them to play as a team, as those rivals, those people who were at odds one with another as they played in the NBA now have to come together and play as one. What do you think the first thing that they have to do before they can become a team? They have to lay aside all of their differences. They have to lay aside all of their their rivalries. They have to put aside all of those those, uh, things that they have said about one another. And they have to come together. So former rivals work together cooperating to achieve one common goal, to win the game. In the process, they have to put aside any rivalries, conflicts, and focus on the task that is at hand. Here, Paul reminds the Philippians of this principle. 
He tells Eudias uh, and, and Synthache that they are on the same team. They're working together. They have the same goal, to reach people with the gospel. tells them that not only are they on the same team and on the same goal, but they are working together as one, reminding them that this can happen if they just simply stop their dispute. Take for a moment. Right now, I want you to just look around the room. I want you to look around the room at people. Just look around. You did it earlier, but I want you to look around. See the smiling faces? Here's what I want to remind you. Everyone in this room is on the same team. We have the same goal. We have the same purpose. We're heading in the same direction. Well, we hope we are. If you aren't, you need to see me. I'll make sure you're heading in the right direction towards God. All right? So as we look around the room and see the smiling faces, we have the same goal. And that we should know that we're laboring together to build the God's kingdom by spreading the gospel. Having the same goal helps us to have unity together. But we can also look at it from another direction. When you work together, this is a reinforcing time for unity. It brings you together so that you have a common goal and a common task and a common purpose. Have you ever felt that way as you work together with a group of people? When you join in a work project and you get your hands dirty side by side, others, uh, it creates a camaraderie, builds up a cooperative spirit. I've found over the years, with, especially working with churches, there are two ways that I've found to build unity in the body of Christ. One, get them out together and work together. Two, get them together and have lunch together. When we work together, we have a unity and a common bond. When we eat together, we have an ability to be able to lay down all of those other things and come together. In 30 plus years of doing this, I've learned that is the greatest way when there is beginning of disunity in the body of Christ to bring them together through work or through food. It works. The same is true when we labor side by side with others to build the kingdom of God. You know what happens when we work together? We don't have time to quarrel together. You may have heard this saying, an idle mind is the devil's playground. When you're not hard at work, striving for a goal, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to focus on the wrong things. It's easy to become critical and judgmental. Division and quarreling is much more likely to plague a church that is not laboring for the gospel than those that are busy doing the work of Christ. And people who are constantly just sitting on the sidelines not doing any work are much more likely to be spreading the, the, the disunity than they are the unity of the body of Christ. What do you need to do to promote unity? Get to work. Work together. Become laborers in God's kingdom. Even better, join up with someone else and be a part of their team and partner with others to fulfill the great commission that God has set before us. Recognize that God did not call us to do it alone. He called us to do it together as what? A body. A body works best when it has all its members working for the same common goal. 
So let me close. I love the last part of verse 3, and I wanted to stop right there. I want you to see it. I made reference to this last week, and I want to make reference to it again. He talks about these fellow laborers, but here's what he says, whose names are written in the book of life. You see, one of the things that I want us to see is this phrase ties together all the points about unity that we discussed this morning. Eudia and Synthetia, Paul, Clement, and the, all the companions were all born again. They had their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They were on the same team. They had the same Savior. They were washed and cleaned by the same blood. And they're going to spend eternity together in heaven. So Paul encourages them to begin working together again on earth. This is what unifies us. I've said it before, the world is full of conflict, division, hate, and anger. But for you and I as believers in Christ, our name has been written in the book of life, which is far more important than any differences that we might have one with another. None of those things should matter compared to our being our name written in that wonderful book. Every believer has an equal value in God's sight. Jesus died for us all, poor or rich, black or white, young or old, if you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, your name has been written in that book. And that gives us unity. Don't let the world divide what God has put together. Never allow Satan to give us ammunition to work against one another, but let Jesus give us joy to work together. Jesus died to bring us peace. So let us work hard together in unity to keep the peace of the bond. Now, I close my message with this so that no one worries. I did not preach this because we have some kind of division and we're going to have some kind of bad business meeting Wednesday night. I preached it because it's chapter 4 and that's where we are. But it's a great reminder that if Satan starts throwing balls of you know what, don't pick them up and throw them back. Leave them alone. Let's work together for the cause of Christ so the glory of the Lord shines through. All right? So I'm not talking about some big problem. It's just what came up in the next verses. And God just said, park right there. So that tells me Satan knows, or God knows Satan's going to try something and we're going to be ready. Amen? Amen. We are unified in the bond of Christ because we love the Lord and the Lord loves us and we love one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to be able to lift our voice before you. And I pray that, Lord, that we in the bond of peace and the bond of Christ would love one another and we would work together in the unity of the faith. And Lord, if there is one that has an issue within the church, if there is one that has a conflict that needs to be addressed, Lord, we pray that you would deal with it today. Lord, that you would make right that which has been made wrong because we know that, God, you give us the grace to humble ourselves. You give us the grace to forgive others. You give us the ability to be able to be unified in the body of Christ. I thank you for the purpose and the work and the labor of love.
from the saints of God here at Midway. And I pray that we would continue to work together for the purpose of Christ, for the upbuilding of thy kingdom and thy glory, both here on earth and in heaven above.